Hey guys, uh, today I have my friend uh, Tanya Lee with me. Uh, I met her on Twitter a while back and just liked the things she had to say. So uh, we scheduled a time to talk and really enjoyed that. So I thought I'd have her back on for the podcast. Uh, Tanya, you introduce yourself a little bit more. Sure. I'm um, Tanya Lee. I live in the Pacific Northwest and uh, I'm a nurse and mom to six kids, four adopted, and uh, been married for uh, 27 years. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, it's quite, and, quite a family. Yeah. Very, very unusual these days. You know, people have smaller families. So kudos to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, in our area, actually, we have a small family. We live in, a, in an area with a lot of apostolic Lutheran families. So mm. we're about half the size of a lot of the families around oh, us. Oh, wow. So that's like a common thing for apostolic Lutherans to have really apostolic large Apostolic Lutherans. Yep. Okay. I lots don't even know what that means of, exactly. I, I'm not sure either, except there's a whole lot in the area. They are uh, uh, mostly come from Finland and uh, oh. so Finnish background. And they have very large, very large families, 11, 12 okay. kids. Are, do they not believe in like birth control? Is that the thing? <laughs> yep. Yep. That's okay. the deal. Got it. Got yep. it. Okay. Makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you want to give us a little bit of your story, how you um, started or became interested in going to grad school for theology? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it was around five, six years ago. Um, well, I'll, I'll start with, I grew up in, um, I grew up going mostly to the free Methodist church. Mm. um, Wesleyan kind of background. And, uh, every time throughout my life, I've taken a, uh, any sort of membership class or doctrinal class, I've always gotten a little disgruntled and irritated. I found out later, I figured out that when things don't compute in my head, that's my usual response is just to be irritated and walk away from it. <laughs> so I've never been a member at a church anywhere, but I've mm-hmm. gone to church, um, most of my life. Um, my parents are very, um, they always went to church, um, but they're very, um, very opinionated and, and educated. My dad has mm-hmm. a doctorate degree in, in, in education. And um, they always told me, don't drink the Kool-Aid and think for yourself. So <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> so throughout my, my growing up years, anything that didn't quite click with me, I kind of just set to the side. Um, I had a really good experience in um, youth group and um, with uh, people when I was younger that um, that I looked up to that were strong Christians. And I think it's just been within the last 10 years, really, that um, not a part of the Free Methodist Church anymore since we've got, gotten married. I married a, a man who was Seventh-day Adventist, um, and he's not anymore, but... Um, We've been going to like community churches for the last um, 15 years or so. And I've just, um, I, I think the main reason I got interested in actually looking at doctrine and theology was that um, I began to see the politics uh, in mm-hmm. church um, mm-hmm. world collide. And um, I always had this feeling that if, things get really bad and politics go a certain direction. Um, Christians, you know, we're going to buck up and we're going to, we're going to follow the teachings of Jesus because that's, you know, that's, 
that's our basic, um, that's our basic instinct. And I feel like I've been really disappointed. Um, Mm. I've been really disappointed in a lot of, a lot of people that I thought were strong Christians that I've seen, um, really make strange political choices and be uh, very fear-based choices. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always had this, uh, I've had this, I, I've had, I was a very anxious child. I had a lot of fear and um, I learned not to give in to my fear. Just mm-hmm. whenever you're making the decision, if fear is making the decision, stop, take a deep breath and um, reevaluate. And I feel like I've seen a lot of people in the last 10 years or so, um, Christian people who I would have thought I would have looked up to not do that, not step back and reevaluate and make a lot of fearful decisions. So I started reading um, books that I thought were off the list, uh, out of the box, things <laughs> that I wouldn't, I wouldn't find on the shelves of, uh, mm-hmm. of a church, uh, church bookshelf. But uh, I did grow up because I grew up in the free Methodist church. They actually, everybody was pretty educated in the church I grew up in. And they encouraged a lot of, reading outside the box. And so um, mm. I'm reading now a little farther outside the box than, than probably I would have when I was younger, but mm. I, um, definitely am. <laughs> I just, yeah, I feel like during COVID I had the time and I kind of gave myself permission to just really um, start anywhere I wanted. And I uh, started reading and reading and reading and reading and um, got to the point where, I felt like I wanted to share it with some people. So I started some, some in-person groups and now some online groups um, and have started a, a master's in theology program with uh, St. Stephen's university in Canada. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think you told me that uh, Pete ends teaches there and you even helped uh, edit his um, latest book. Yeah, so Pete Enns, Brad Jerzak teaches mm. there. He's a uh, he's the dean of the school. Pete Enns does some uh, some guest speaking for them sometimes, mm-hmm. and a lot of other uh, a lot of other people. It's it's a it's a school with kind of an it's an orthodox base, so it's an eye towards the early church and the mm. early church doctrines and mm-hmm. the church fathers and and then studying Christian history all the way up with also an eye towards the emerging church movement and mm-hmm. where Christianity might be going. So, Oh, I love that. I, I love that topic. Um, yeah, I think it's so interesting. I, I grew up church Christ and um, our pastor is always uh, wanting us to, and, and teaching us some on the history of um, um, church of Christ, but I didn't really get a, you know, holistic history of Christianity as a whole. I think that started in in college, and we had to take a bunch of Bible classes. Um, but uh, I would say grad school is really where um, things opened up. As far as um, I took a class on Bible's literature, so seeing the Bible in different ways, um, and I took a class on global Christianity, and so learning how Christianity spreads and also falls in different nations and what that looks like. Um, and so that really just kind of opened my mind up and then kind of had my own spiritual awakening and, um, took me a long time, but I eventually started, uh, 
yeah, like you said, going outside of what I would normally read and investigate and really open my mind up. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting what you said about like politics. Um, I'm sure part of that that you're referencing is is Trump. I think he really, mm-hmm. when he became in office, that really divided Christians a lot on one side or the other, and um, really highlighted a division that probably was already starting with like the deconstruction movement and um, all these scandals and issues. But uh, yeah, really, really showed, <laughs> show the, the division. And um, yeah, really like what you said about um, fear. And um, I, I really see how fear keeps us um, in our boxes, keeps us in our, our tribes or our group and, um, you have to believe this or you have to read this or don't read this. And, um, that keeps you from being curious and keeps you from exploring what might be true or maybe what's wrong with your current belief system. Um, so I I think it's very used to confront that and that helps us, um, grow and figure out, um, maybe more healthy beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're down on the internet a lot because um, because there's there's a lot of options for for negative things and for hiding. But I think the internet has allowed people in the last ten years, especially Christians from all over the world, to compare notes and say, "Well, wait a minute, we don't all believe the same. We right. may think yeah. we may think, and it's I think it's very American to think. Well, I we all think exactly the same way as I mm-hmm. do. This is how Christians think. When right. you realize that." there's a lot of Christians in the world right now that don't believe the same way. And certainly a hundred years ago, 500, a thousand, 2000 years ago, people were having different doctrines and different beliefs and different explanations for things. And um, I think it's Phyllis Tickle that wrote a lot on, on the reformation and how we're about every 500 years in Judeo Christian history. Mm. uh, There's a reformation and we're at about 580 years now Mm -hmm. since the last one or a little, little more than that. So we're due. And I think we're in the middle of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think it's funny. Like I didn't grow up um, even like knowing the creeds or whatever. And then, then I get to college and, and like you said, the internet and people are, you know, very strong on the creeds. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know this is a thing. And people are like, are you, you have to know the creeds and you have to follow the creeds. I'm like, uh, I, I don't even know them. So yeah, like you said, it's just funny. The different things we think, everyone should believe or know and it's just not the case um and definitely it's uh there's a lot of things that are different um one thing that i find interesting is also the parallels in um maybe just the way people the words they use but if you look behind the words people may believe the same thing they just have different language or ways and that's Mm -hmm. and i found that you know, not just within Christianity, but between religions and stuff like that. And so it's a really, really interesting and enjoyable to find. Yeah. I'm I'm trying now to look at, um, at religion as a cultural, it's a cultural expression and it's a, it's a way that, that we express how we relate to the cosmos and that everybody has that, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a Christian because of where I was born and right. and the family I was born into, and if I was born in a different place, I probably would be a different a different religion than. Um, so the idea that there's that one right one out there is, uh, 
I, I think it's pretty um, arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would still say I identify with Christianity. It's uh, it's where it's my hometown. Right. Um, but I think that we can learn a lot from uh, from a lot of different religions, a lot of different cultures. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with um, like the, how we read the Bible or Western and Eastern Christianity? What do you think? Well, I guess um, I guess I'd start with uh, Western and Eastern Christianity. I guess one of my first questions early on that I couldn't get out of my head. Um, I'm an overthinker, so three in the morning, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about the questions uh, mm-hmm. that most people don't ever right. don't ever bother <laughs> with. And one of my first questions was I was I kept visualizing the history of Christianity as like a tree and. I feel like right now we're as, as evangelical Western Christians um, kind of off on a strange branch. Um, And I wanted to see in the history of Christianity, where did those, where did we branch off of? Mm, Where did mm -hmm. we come from? Where did we get our thoughts from? And, and uh, how did we develop the strains of thinking that we did? So um, I think that, I think you're right. That's one that's one thing that I really looked at pretty closely. And then the other thing is um, literality versus literary um, Mm -hmm. reading of the Bible. So I guess I, because I started there, I would start with the Eastern and Western Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In grad school, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Really learned a lot. There's a lot of, but I did find it very intellectual and, um, I started becoming interested in Eastern thought and Eastern um, way of living and, and, and the way they view the world and, and s- saw that West was very interested in separating things and finding the differences and interested in the intellectual and the logical and the, um, the linear. Uh, but Eastern was very mm-hmm. nonlinear, intuitive, holistic, all the stuff. And um, yeah, that's, I think that was the start of, seeing a bit bigger perspective and kind of that the, we need both of these. These are both important and let's not get too uh, imbalanced one way or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. I was listening this week to, uh, and I, I want to get this right. It was either Julie Canlis or Sheriff Nordling. I think it was Julie Canlis. She is a, uh, she's actually a Calvin scholar. Um, she's a Trinitarian Christian and uh, with the open table conference. And she was, uh, she was saying, she was talking about, I think she was talking about Calvin. And she was saying that during, uh, during the time of his life, um, they, at that time, they were beginning to dissect bodies. They were beginning to dissect human bodies and they, uh, were finding out what different organs looked like. And, and so Calvin talks about the anatomy of the Psalms and, that really dissecting and chopping up the Psalms or the scriptures kind of became the way Western Christians thought like, Mm. and, uh, and the example she gave was that uh, when you have a, one time uh, there was a, the guy that was, there was this guy that was doing dissection for a group. And there was, it was actually a guy that was still alive and he had a bunch of problems, diseases. And, uh, 
they had cut him open. They were going to do surgery. And he was so excited about showing all the problems that the guy had, that the guy died on the table. So they were dissecting and dissecting, but Uh they weren't putting back together. And he said, she said, it's a really good example of what we do with the Bible in Western. Mm. Um, The Western thought on the Bible is try to find all the basic pieces, like try to get it down to the elements instead of really seeing seeing the stories as a whole and seeing their Mm -hmm. context and their symbolism. And uh, uh, yeah, I think Western um, Western Christianity kind of branched off of, off of Eastern Christianity at Augustine, Mm. I think Augustine uh, Mm. probably was the most notable spot. And then down through Calvin and Luther and. Mm -hmm. Right. um, Yeah. I think, uh, I've often heard, and you tell me how accurate this is, that Augustine was the one who really um, popularized or, um, yeah, popularized the idea of original sin. Yes. Um, he, I mean, you, and if you think about who he was as a person, he, he struggled with a, with a kind of a rambunctious, wild, young, young life. And then, uh, so the uh, the confessions, his confessions mm-hmm. are pretty um, well read, mm-hmm. and he he really was he wanted to put off his old self and mm-hmm. and bring on the new and and yeah original sin and and actually uh, the the doctrine of original sin started out as a positive. It started out as the idea that hey, lest you be a god you have mm-hmm. this propensity to sin that that's what being human is. It's okay. Mm-hmm. We're weak and we're meant to de- depend on each other. We've turned it into something else. We've mm-hmm. turned it into a, a stick to beat people with and uh, uh, some, you know, a reason for shame. But mm-hmm. um, it, it, I think it's a good example. Even that doctrine probably wasn't originally meant as a, um, as a tool for shame. It was originally mm-hmm. meant as, an explanation of the difference between why am I not perfect? You know, mm-hmm. the difference between me and God. Right. Right. Yeah. So that also kind of goes into Western versus Eastern Christianity. Cause I know like Eastern Orthodox has this idea of theosis of um, becoming like one with God and, and um, that transcendence um, where Western, I think really emphasizes that kind of original sin idea. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what would you say about that? Uh, I think Eastern Christianity, as I understand it, talks, uh, speaks less in a, well, Western Christianity speaks in a metaphor, a legal metaphor. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have sin or you don't have sin, and this kind of idea that God can look at you if you don't have sin, but he can't otherwise, and he needs to have a reason um, mm-hmm. that that he can, you know, that he can look at you, and that that reason happens to be Jesus. Whereas mm-hmm. Eastern, uh, the Eastern Christian thought is we have a, we, sin is, sin is a disease. We have, we, we have this tendency to pull away from the divine, pull away from love. And it's a, it's kind of a, just a disease we have. And mm-hmm. because we have it, um, we need God and we need one another. And so Jesus is the, cure for the disease. Mm. Jesus is the way to be fully human and mm. 
uh, and Jesus was fully human and fully divine, never more, mm-hmm. never more divine than when he was his most human. This is the way to be mm-hmm. human. And incidentally, mm-hmm. it's also the way to be divine. And, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. when we pull away from God in any way, when we have dis-ease, it's, it's a matter of being cured, not a matter of being shamed. So mm-hmm. um, they don't use like a, a legal as much. Um, they don't mm-hmm. as often use a legal um, theory for right. uh, for our for how we relate to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I always well not always that struck me uh, the last few years is that legal metaphor is very conditional love and didn't really mm-hmm. doesn't really square with my like understanding of God anymore. I think George MacDonald says that like justice is mercy, is grace, is forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and so there isn't any condition that we need to do to make God love us because he loves us unconditionally. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, I really love what you said about um, Jesus and um, as as he lives out his full humanness, that is also his full divineness. And that's the same for us. At, and I, I, I quote my friend John Chafee all the time. Um, and yeah, that it's the, the divine and human is not really opposite. It's like the more human we can be more holistic, the more divine we are. And so um, would you, is it accurate that I think Western Christians are like, okay, Jesus was fully human, fully divine, but we're just human. So we're not, we're not divine. So let's, let's make this divide between right. us and Jesus. So are you saying that the Eastern doesn't is into this idea that we are uh also full like human and divine like jesus but we're not fully divine like jesus we're not there yet is that would that be accurate yeah well divine really means um if you look at hebrew thought divine really means like doesn't end like never ending Mm. like of of the of the realm that isn't life limited isn't time Mm -hmm. limited so to be divine doesn't we, we think of when we think of God, we think of um, authority and and like a hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. But the the more Eastern thought is more like a holarchy. If you've heard of a holarchy, a holarchy is a whole on is something that is whole into itself, but it's also part of a greater whole. It's mm. also part of a greater thing, a greater right. thing. And right. so they have more of a holarchy. So humans um once once you die and you go through the judgment the apocalypse that saves then you end up in um in full unity with the godhead so father son and mm-hmm. spirit the the pictures the ancient pictures are that there's four seats at the table and the fourth one mm-hmm. is you um mm-hmm. and that's possible because in god there is no hierarchy Mm. everyone always gives to the next everyone always mm-hmm. submits to the next so the father to the son to the spirit they all submit one to another and when there's no hierarchy and there's not somebody who's in charge mm-hmm. um we can't really fathom that and especially mm. in a western culture it's really hard to think that way but so you're going to be fully invited to the table because mm. of jesus and mm-hmm. so humanity because there's human dna in the godhead now because jesus is there we are invited to the table, not as second-class citizens, because there isn't any classes mm. in God. 
There's mm-hmm. just full unity. And we struggle with that, I think, because we we are so hierarchical. We're so mm-hmm. we're so enmeshed with authoritative thinking that we cannot imagine that God would submit to us. But that's really what Jesus did. Jesus said, mm-hmm. God submits to your violence on the cross um, and loves you through it and loves you in spite of it. And, um, and that's what saves us. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you go more into that about the submission to your violence on the cross? What, what does that mean? Um, so I'm trying to think uh, there's, there's uh, the Western, the typical Western atonement theory. And I think it's what, it's what we all kind of grew up with is the idea. It's a very legal, legal idea that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice. Uh, God needed a sacrifice. Uh, God needed to punish someone because Mm -hmm. humanity had sinned. And so Jesus, he sent his son and Jesus died on the cross um, in order to, uh, in order to be a sacrifice so that God could love humanity again, so that God could mm-hmm. forgive humanity. Um, that's not a Hebrew way of thinking. That's not an early Christian atonement theory. Um, mm-hmm. Atonement meaning at one uh, How do we become one with God? Um, mm. That's, that's not uh, an early Christian way of, of, of explaining how Jesus died on the cross. Um, Jesus died on the cross in the in the uh, Orthodox or in the Eastern thinking. Um, Jesus died on the cross as God, fully united. Like Jesus, if Jesus is God, then Jesus can't be separated from God. So mm-hmm. in, in Eastern Christian thinking, uh, the idea that God killed Jesus on the cross was blasphemy because it split Jesus and God. And so in Eastern thinking um, on the cross, the reason that Jesus felt that he was alone was that there's no, there was no God up in heaven looking at him because Jesus and God were one on the cross. So Jesus on the cross was God on mm-hmm. the cross saying, though you kill me still, I love you. Mm-hmm. So though you, though you, though you kill me at this and because God forgave us, submitted to our violence. Um, then God was was have was performing the ultimate nonviolent act. He was mm. nonviolent in the face of of humans' violence. So mm-hmm. God submitted to us, and mm-hmm. we threw our wrath on Him uh, mm. on the cross. And because because God submitted to death. That's what blew death up from the inside. The death mm-hmm. was no longer um, a, a barrier between humans and God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know one of the gospels says that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How does that idea square <laughs> with Jesus being at one with God on the cross? Well, first of all, um, He's quoting from Psalm 22. Mm-hmm. Um, why have you forsaken me? Um, and Psalm 22 basically says, uh, why have you forsaken me? Uh, oh, I see you have not forsaken me. You have always been with me. And so it's mm-hmm. a very common passage 
people mm-hmm. who would have heard it would have gone, oh, he's quoting from this passage. In fact, in Psalm 22, there are parts of it where they, um, where it talks about they, they, they um, gambled for my clothes. My bones are broken. I am, you know, I'm, I'm unto death. So it kind of is a Psalm that one people would have known. And two, it, it details what was going on with Jesus um, Mm -hmm. at the time. Oh, that's one thought. Uh, Another thought that I I've heard from John bear, who is a current scholar. Uh, uh, He's, I think he's, uh, he's Orthodox. Uh, He lives in Scotland. Um, And he, he says, have you, if you notice that all these important points with Jesus, like at the baptism of Jesus and, um, commissioning of Jesus, they, you have God speaking from the sky. You have God looking down and speaking from the sky. You have, uh, and saying, you know, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. At Jesus's death, you don't have that. And he said it's because you don't, there was never, the Eastern explanation for that is there was never a time when Jesus was more one with God that that the trinity was all on the cross and so and also jesus was fully human while being fully divine mm-hmm. if he couldn't feel feel alone at that moment if he couldn't feel what a human would feel then he wouldn't have been fully human so mm. what he was feeling was was uh what it would be like as a human because he mm-hmm. was because jesus was human um, but throughout the Bible, there's a theme that says just because you don't feel God's presence doesn't mean right. God is not present. Yeah. So that's, you know, Jesus was being fully human. Um, but also if you've never read Psalm 22, it's pretty interesting to, to read through and, and realize he's quoting from a Psalm detailing mm-hmm. his death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, so obviously, the Old Testament, you know, has the Israelites sacrificing to God, um, and so it seems like that idea that we need to sacrifice from God is from the Old Testament, and it's it's there. So, what you said that the Hebrews would have thought about it differently. How do you how do you make sense of that? Sure. So. Abraham and Isaac, uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac has Abraham going up to sacrifice his son, which would have been, we don't really realize this, but contextually, that was not an abnormal thing. If you, if you wanted to sacrifice, uh, your son to, to God, it was, that was a really highly esteemed way to worship one of, you know, one of the gods at the time. Mm-hmm. So the Abraham and Isaac story actually says um, Yahweh is different. Yahweh does not desire sacrifice of a son. The, so it set the the Hebrew people like apart from the other the mm-hmm. other gods. And then you see it again later uh, when the Israelites are sacrificing their sons to Molech. Mm-hmm. You have God saying it would never enter my mind to sacrifice a son. So it's, it's very clear 
um, in, you know, in a Jewish mindset that, that, that Yahweh does not demand the sacrifice of a son. And mm. um, so the idea that God would sacrifice his son, mm-hmm. that God would kill his son would, would have been blasphemy to an early Christian. Mm. So the way we've interpreted it is, um, is, just not very true to Hebrew thinking and it's not very Mm -hmm. true to early Christian thinking. Their idea was that God would give God self and that we killed God. In fact, Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of our modern Bible Bibles, they have the phrase, um, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus and of God is often in parentheses. And if you look at the bottom, it says, for clarification um it was put in later it it Mm. it wasn't originally the wrath Mm. of god was poured Mm -hmm. out on jesus it was the wrath was poured out and the wrath is kind of a symbol for all of the pent-up blah of humanity Mm -hmm. all of our (laughs) sin all of our Mm -hmm. rage all of our everything Mm -hmm. that wrath um Mm -hmm. so this goes into literary versus literal reading of the bible when we read the wrath of God, um, a literal reading thinks, well, God must be actually angry. A literary reading might, doesn't necessarily assume that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it, 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 the wrath might be a cumulative um, bunch of stuff. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't exactly mean that. So this, this gets into um, not, not everywhere in the Bible can you read it literally. And actually, Western Christians don't read everything literally. Right, we read right. Revelation and like the giant whore of Babylon. We don't think of an actual prostitute. We go, mm-hmm. well, that's a metaphor. But mm-hmm. then we see the, you know, the lake of fire in Revelation. We go, well, that's literal. Right. Um, yeah. Why, we have a hard why time is that? discerning yeah. the in-between. Um, yeah, I'm going to get into that real quick. Uh, how I understand... Uh, the atonement uh jesus is that like you said other other nations other um religions um believe that you know you had to sacrifice the gods we're really um putting our humanness on gods that hey they're angry with us and we have to appease them so we have to make these sacrifices and so israelites were the same way but over time their understanding of that um was improved and so Jesus was that final straw that, hey, Jesus, I don't believe Jesus needed to die on the cross to appease God or to do anything ontological to change reality. Although I, I, I still give it, maybe there's something to that and I just don't understand it. So it could be possible. But I definitely know that it uh, changed humanity's psychological understanding that, hey, we don't need to sacrifice anymore. We can have this personal relationship with God and that temple is inside of us. And so whether or not you believe that there was a, a natural ontological change or if it was just psychological, um, yeah, that, 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 that's what happened, that we can have this personal relationship with God. And so um, Jesus died because of us, because of our under, uh, misunderstanding and our, um, trauma and our faults and stuff like that. 
Yeah, Brad, Brad Jerzak, he's one of my professors. He says, uh, when people ask him, why did Jesus die? He said, well, because we killed him. And <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the first. And mm-hmm. then, then you have to ask, well, what did that do? And, mm-hmm. um, and what if, what if when Jesus died, he was telling us a brand new thing about who God was that humanity mm-hmm. needed to know? Like mm-hmm. we needed, we needed to know. Right. And what if we need the understanding of the Christ, you know, the universal Christ, the, mm-hmm. that, that God would always come for us. And it's really hard to give up the idea that we need to appease God mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if I feel guilty, then, right. you know, I have a hard time forgiving myself. And a lot mm-hmm. of times we, it, if we could do something, you know, if we could do something, it would make us feel better. But if we have a God that's merciful and, and, the Hebrew thinking is that God can forgive whenever God wants to. God doesn't have any rules on mm-hmm. God that say God can't forgive uh, unless something happens. But God can mm-hmm. forgive whenever God wants to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. It's, it's like, oh, God is perfect. Nothing we can do is going to change God. It's only, we're only hurting ourselves and, and the world he created. And so really, really it's, what the atone what we need our part of the atonement is, is to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth to um make right what was what we've made wrong and so yeah i i like that understanding um so back to that literal versus literary i think we're also you know it's kind of this we're also talking about inerrancy and inspiration of the bible and um you know i think people are like oh the old testament it's or the, the bible it's, it's inerrant and so we have to believe that um, there was this, yeah, this this under this penal substitutionary atonement understanding, and um, the, the Old Testament. We have to uh, believe everything in that. But even you know, we, we pick and choose. Even even those people, you know, pick and choose like what what commandments they think they should follow or not. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, what would you what would you say yeah. about? Well, one thing I find interesting in in reading the early church fathers and their um, and their writings, their understanding of inspiration was because the the Bible wasn't put together all at once. It was it was kind of put together over a period of four hundred years. The canon, the first canon, and we've had many canons since then. I think there's eight on the planet right now. Um, Protestant Bible is probably one of the smallest, if not the smallest. Uh, there's a lot of other canons of scripture that are that have a, contain a lot more books. And uh, the their early early church fathers would say that uh, when they talked about the inspiration of of the word um, or the scriptures, they talked about what the Holy Spirit interprets as you read it. They weren't really talking about it was inspired to be written, although mm-hmm. you can say that. Um, but when the early when the early church fathers talk about it, they talk more about this. As you read these texts, you are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. when they talk about the inspiration of scriptures, they're not quite talking about the same thing. Hmm. Usually right. we today would talk about it was inspired to be written. And the mm-hmm. idea often is that it was kind of robotically downloaded. Right, the right. People that, that it was wrote perfect, it and that it, the, yeah, God put words yeah. in in their, <laughs> in their minds, and the words are perfect. 
And so it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's all perfect. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh, what did, I didn't even know what I wrote. Look, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's not, um, that's not an early understanding and that's not a scholarly understanding (coughs) of, of the scriptures. Um, the, just in the, like looking at the new Testament and all of our early copies of the new Testament that we have, there are as many, uh, errors of some sort, word differences, word placement, spelling, whatever. Um, there are as many errors between those copies as there are, um, like words in the new Testament. So <laughs> they're mm-hmm. just in our early copies of, mm-hmm. and we have a ton of early copies of the scriptures, but there's, they were writing those scriptures out. They were writing those texts out to get them out there. And then mm-hmm. there were, there were a lot of as, as many editors or more than there were writers, people who would edit for the audience that they were speaking to. So um, when you realize that um, if it's scary, I'm sure it's scary to some people. Um, right. you, we, we live in a time where fact and, and, evidence that demands a verdict and proof are super important. And we have to realize uh, 2000 years ago, they lived in a time where that really wasn't the order of the day Um, story and truth were important. And Mm -hmm. truth is very different from fact. What is true can be communicated through an allegory. What, Mm -hmm. what is fact was just not as important to the, the authors of, of the biblical text. Right. Yeah. It's not, not truth in a, this is exactly, yeah, the literary truth, uh, but more the symbolic or the deep meaning, the, the deep existential questions, the truth of that. Um, Yeah. It's just a different, not, not the scientific truth, (laughs) you know, science wasn't really a thing right then. Um, Yeah. So for instance, numbers um in the book of revelation and and throughout the scriptures it, if you look at the number 40 you see the number 40 come up a lot well 40 has a meaning it's used more like a verb than an actual number so it has it has a meaning and the mm-hmm. number 12 has a political meaning so when there's 12 disciples there's a political meaning there um the number 7 is god's number the number 4 is like I think it's the number of God's action on the earth. And then the three is God's action in the, in the heavens or something. And mm-hmm. so seven is God's action everywhere. So when they were reading those scriptures, they were seeing this, the symbols in those that we, we miss that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have you, have you ever read a uh, sponge? John Shelby no. sponge. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sp- like John, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He has, uh, and I've read, I've only read like a little bit of one of his books, but even then I can see why a lot of people were pissed off at him. <laughs> yes. But uh, just that um, I think he was going into, and, and I mean, I, I don't know what I think. Um, I think it's interesting. He, he basically was saying that the, 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 the gospels were written in a way to really verify and validate um, Jesus and who he was and his message and like prophecies and uh, 
yeah, numbers and, and, and like the, the version birth and all this stuff. And so these things might not, not, not all of these things might be literally true or, or he talked about like the genealogy wasn't, um, wasn't every person that was leading up to Jesus and different stuff right. like that. So I think that, that, that's, that, that's like really scary to a lot of people. Um, and again, I don't know if yeah. that's accurate or not, but it's interesting. Well, there's, depending on which genealogy they're talking about, there's a New Testament genealogy that I've heard um, scholars say, well, of course, this is not, this is not an accurate genealogy. This is an, an, this is, this is to give you a certain, um, this is bringing certain people out of the lineage that you wouldn't have usually in the lineage. And, and those differences would have been, really notable and important to the people that were listening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the original readers of that would have gone, oh, why did they put that person in instead? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they put why somebody they put in women there that and was a woman. prostitutes in there? Yeah. Yep. And they were saying that Jesus is changing even the way we think about our lineage. You know, Jesus mm-hmm. is is changing the way we <clears throat> So it they it had a purpose, it had a reason. It's like we don't really we don't really talk much about it, but John the book of the gospel of John is entirely different. It puts things in an entirely different mm-hmm. order than Matthew, Mark, and Luke and Christian history says he was the theologian. He's building a theology mm-hmm. out of what Matthew, Mark, and Luke were just writing down. Oh, here's some things mm-hmm. that happened. And this is about when, and John was, he didn't say here's a theology, but he put things in an entirely different order. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, we seem to accept that in you know in its context and not talk much about it but then we we want to insist on literality in other areas and right. it's rather arbitrary right yeah i think you know growing up christian you just you're taught a certain way and so it really takes a lot to kind of step out of that and see from an outside perspective and see yeah there's a lot of similarities and um you know you you can you could it's okay that there's differences, but at the same time, there is significant differences where you, you gotta be like, okay, this isn't exactly literal. And so how do, what do we think about that? What, how do we reconcile that? And, um, you know, like you said, I don't think that the authors were necessarily focused on being hundred percent literal and it's not even dishonest. It's just not the way they thought, uh, back in those days. And so we have to try to adjust our way of thinking to, to that time period. Well, I think it's important too, to realize, um, if we try to read it literally, we may be entirely missing the way it was written to be read. We may be Mm -hmm. missing the point because that, the point for the, you know, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the point was to midrash, to to wrestle there with mm-hmm. with God. So you have two different depictions of what God does in the same situation. And sometimes even in Proverbs, it's in like w- one proverb says, throw your pearl, don't throw your <laughs> pearls before swine. And another one mm-hmm. says, always have the answer. So like, <laughs> always have an answer for any person. So right. you it was meant for you to wrestle with mm-hmm. who God was. It was meant mm-hmm. to have stories of people who were desolate and other people who were excited and, and 
uh, there it's meant to have a lot of what ifs. So if we mm-hmm. read it and try to make it all absolute fact, we we may just miss the entire point. Yeah, yeah. Ends always says, "Don't use the Bible as a proof text." You know, it, it's not saying. Yeah, I can go to this one verse or this one chapter, and this is the absolute truth, and I can take it out and use it as the truth. And then another chapter, you know, might say something else. And I think, you know, going back to deconstruction, a lot of the people who deconstruct are actually people who were very sincere, dedicated studiers of, of Christianity and the Bible. And that they tried to make it fit. They tried to take things literally and they tried to, but then they were like, Oh, you know, because they were so dedicated, they saw the inconsistencies and the contradictions and, because so many Christians say you can't interpret it this way, this other way as, as not as, as you know, yeah, that, 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 that caused deconstruction and, um, and, and same thing happened to me and it creates such um, yeah anxiety and just tension and, and, and it, it, yeah, it's very difficult to, to live with and reconcile. And so, um, I think the way we're talking about it is so much more healthy and accurate. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of people um, say a lot of Christians uh, say, "Well, you can't talk about your faith anymore. You can't, you know, people don't want to hear about it." And I just haven't found that to be true at all. I when I talk to people about my faith or or what I study, um, I talk to people with curiosity rather than with certainty. And I've mm-hmm. never had anybody have a problem with anything. I you know a lot of people, even people that I work with right now who say, you know, they, they want to talk about faith with me and they aren't Christian anymore. And they're like, Oh, I would totally study that. Like I would <laughs> totally like, because right. they've had those questions. And like you say, a lot mm-hmm. of people who were very strong in their faith are the ones who read the Bible. And while they were adults and were like, wait a minute, we can't reconcile this anymore. And I think the church does a disservice when we say to wrestle is to be unfaithful because mm-hmm. to wrestle in Hebrew thinking is, is to be faithful. And we mm-hmm. have that, we have that all over the Bible. We have that example of people wrestling with God and it was known as faith. And it's mm-hmm. to ask those questions. That's, that is faithful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the definition of faith is it's not knowing everything, and so um, <laughs> it's like we 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 have faith, but we we don't know it all, and so we're we're still figuring it out. And so that openness, that curiosity, just is so much more life giving and brings people in rather than pushes them away. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. So so, but then I think people are like, well, what is what is our rock then? Like. What do we stand on if if the Bible isn't, you know, the the inerrant word of God and and doesn't give me all the all the truth or sure. what what do I do with that? And and what what is what is the Bible, you know? Like right. the, the Catholics, the Apocrypha, and you know, we're we're digging up more Dead Sea Scrolls and um you know, what about further further inspiration? You know? Right. Well, it, um, I, then if you don't have the certainty of the scriptures, if you, if you can't say, well, um, 
you know, they're, they're 100% fact, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, well, then you have to turn to faith. You know, that's, we've been taught, I think that certainty and the certainty is faith, that to have faith means that you're sure about something. And mm-hmm. actually, the early church warned against that. They warned against Gnosticism, knowledgeism, that somehow my knowledge of God saves me, um, that somehow I can accurately pick apart the scriptures. Somehow mm-hmm. that's going to save me. If I think the right set of things, well, then somehow I'm saved. And uh, I think the early church, uh, when you read the early church fathers, you get an entirely different view of what salvation even is. The so salvation is the making whole of a human. Mm. And so in, um, in some of the, the uh, groups that I, that I'm in, we might ask the question, like, what's saving you today? You know, this conversation is saving me Mm. today. This makes me a little more whole, you know, who is my ultimate savior? God saves me. God makes Mm. me whole, but, Mm -hmm. but my salvation isn't a matter of in or out. It's not a matter of Mm -hmm. a transaction. It's a matter of I'm human and I'm becoming whole and I'm not whole Mm. yet, but I have a savior and Jesus is my savior. Why Jesus is love and, and loved me and loved humanity at our absolute worst moment and proves that his mercy, you know, endures forever. So it just begins to mean a different thing. Like if my salvation is dependent on my understanding of the scriptural texts, Mm -hmm. then if if there's something off about them, well, then I'm in trouble. Right. But my understanding of the scriptures does not change who God is. Mm -hmm. And it is God that is our salvation. It's God that makes Mm -hmm. us whole. Right. So yeah. it, it shouldn't be able to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that was a big shift for me too, is um, how could my, my reason reasoning, or if I understand things correctly or not be what saves me or not. Cause I was thinking about how God gives us many different gifts and, you know, he did give me intelligence. I, you know, I, I, I'm very, you know, studied. I've, I've, read a lot of books and I went to grad school, but guess what? I, I still don't know a lot. And there's, you know, the more, <laughs> the more I learn, the more questions I have than answers. And so I'm like, well, I'm pretty good at this, but I still really don't know. And I'm probably not right about a lot of things. And so if, if that's what saves me, then how could so many other people be saved? And and then I'm like, okay, there's these other, these other people I know, and they're very down the earth and they're not very like, you know, they don't read a lot and they're not very like studious or intellectual, or whatever, but I see the way they live and it's, it's great. And I have a lot to learn from them. And so mm-hmm. it can't be our reason and um, our intellectual understanding that, that saves us. That just can't be right. Yeah. Yeah. But we're in a very, we're in a very Western, very knowledge based culture. And so it's our, it's our downfall to think that, um, it's my mind that that makes me that even makes me human that even makes me who I am or um, it certainly contributes what I think and how I think about things can certainly contribute to my well-being like mm-hmm. that's that's obvious but but to think that that my humanity or my value is um, or whether or not God loves me like I can change that by what I think like mm-hmm. if I happen to get it right I can't I've not felt exactly the same about God 
or thought the same things about God on any particular day in my mm-hmm. entire life. So which day was I closer to right? <laughs> right. Was I a little closer last uh-huh. week or how about when I was in high school? Like, was I closer then? I, yeah, it's, it mm-hmm. cannot be that it has to be um, that God saves, that God loves us. It, it can't be my thinking. Right. Um, and that's a, that's another interesting point. Then you say, well, then, you know, the Bible says all, all will, will go to the judgment and stand before God. And so how does that work out? Well, in Eastern thinking, that judgment is what saves. That judgment is, is the burning away of all that is not of God and not of love mm-hmm. so that we can be in God's presence so that we can be love and not be hindered anymore. So mm-hmm. the judgment that saves would be the answer to that. Mm-hmm. So Eastern Orthodox, they, they believe in universalism and, and not this. And so like hell, like the fire would be this uh, purifying fire that burns away the sin and the evil. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So they like kind of that kind of the early Christian uh, wrestling was, okay, so what happens after you die? It wasn't their main point, but mm-hmm. they did talk about it. Um and it was kind of like rock, paper, scissors were the options. Um, <laughs> rock would be, you put it in the fire and it burns forever and never disappears. Mm-hmm. So right. there would be eternal conscious torment. And that really mm-hmm. wasn't a big camp in the early church. Mm-hmm. I think out of seven centers, only one of them talked about that. Um, the other centers of Christianity, Christian thinking, talked about paper and scissors. Uh, either you're tempered like steel and impurities are gone. Um, and you then live forever with God? Or is it possible that you have somebody who is so inhuman and has no good in them left that mm. once everything that is not of God is burned away, could they be yeah, like paper life. and just pff, right. stop? So that was annihilationism. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's a lot of people that still, uh, including these Seventh-day Adventists, teach annihilationism. Um, but eternal conscious torment wasn't a big thought mm-hmm. at the time wasn't in mm-hmm. the early church um that's come since kind of dante's inferno and right and calvin and Luther. And, yeah yeah much more greek and the book of enoch um mm. which was originally i think in the coptic canon but nowhere but nowhere else and um mm-hmm. and the coptic canon doesn't have it anymore but that a lot of the eternal conscious torment thinking came from there mm. mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I uh I really like the mystics um because I think that they had this and yeah, I guess like you said the early Christians as well had this better understanding of of the well I mean I guess a lot of them were even before the canon was formed before they even had scriptures to read but even after that um had this better understanding of it um but that they were all about the experience of God and that this experience is something beyond so profound and so beyond words that anything we do to um, you know, any theology we we form is not going to be up to par. And so we're all just grasping at things. And so we don't have to hold so tightly to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but I do at the same time think that it's still valuable and worthy of trying to make sense and make words and make theology. It's just don't hold so tightly and believe that it's, that what we have is the answer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
I've heard a lot of a lot of the scholars. I listen to the Open Table Conference. They're a group of scholars that get together weekly and they go through books books of the Bible. <coughs> we went through, I think, Revelation a couple of years ago, Hebrew, John, um, and this year going through Matthew. And they they are not afraid to say, I don't know. Like <laughs> they're from a lot of different backgrounds mm-hmm. and they're, you know, scholars and theologians and they're not afraid to go, well, I don't know for sure, but I kind of wonder if, and I, that's really beautiful to me. It's really, um, it's really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, I'll say that the way I think about inspiration is I, I think the, the Bible is very inspired. I think that or it has a lot of, has a lot of wisdom and a lot of truth and there's, you know, mm-hmm. it's very, um, you know, it, it understands itself it, or, or what I'm saying is that it refers to different parts of the Bible. And so there's a lot of uh, connections between things and they've really thought about things deeply and thoroughly. Um, but I think there's lots of things that are inspired. That I've, there's lots of books I think have helped me and have a lot to say. And, you know, I think that um, I think that God meant for us to. Like why, if, if the Bible is inerrant and has all the answers, why do we continue to write new Christian books? Why do we even have sermons? You know, why, why do we say things in new ways? Um, I think it's because the Bible isn't meant to, and I think often Jesus, the way he taught, you see he was referring in parables. He was referring to these um, these wisdom truths, but he wasn't saying, he wasn't talking so much about specific situations. He was teaching us these deeper truths that will help us then figure out how to um, use these truths in different situations and figure out what that means in this context. And so um, the Bible isn't something to be like, it doesn't refer to every context. And so as obviously the world changes and um, is different, we need to continue to think or figure out and write and come up with, well, what is what did these truths mean in these different situations? And uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I think Pete N says uh, God let His people write the stories of God and God's people. So it you know it, it wasn't God that wrote those stories. God let the people write the stories, and so we have to realize people wrote them, and people mm-hmm. wrote them without some of the knowledge that we have. So right. like the why people covered their heads or why prostitutes shaved their heads or like all of those questions, they were contextual. They were, they had to do with the thinking at the time. And when we don't understand them now, um, like it's really helpful to, to understand the historical context of those stories. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I think you can read, read the Bible and glean some from it, from mm. a, from a, a once over reading. Um, but I don't think you can have perfect understanding of it without like a whole understanding of it without really digging in. And the early, the early church fathers said that they said there's the first blush reading. I don't think you can uh, read it with and wholly understand it or fully understand it without contextual reading and the early church fathers, I think it was origin that said first blush reading is what do the words say? Second blush reading was like, what does it say to me? Third blush reading was, uh, what does this mean? And does it have any meaning for all time? 
Mm. And so we, I think we often just read it maybe on that first blush and that first blush is supposed to include context. And Mm. we don't usually, if we're not including context, we're missing a lot. So um, I think we're often biblically illiterate in the, Mm-hmm. in the West. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, yeah. So I think that a lot of Christians are like, okay, we can see the old Testament. There was some errors. So, so we can admit that and that's okay. But the new Testament and in the gospels, especially like we can't, we can't admit that there might have been errors or even that the authors may have said some things that were wrong. And I think I've gone to the place where I'm like, you know, maybe I don't understand. Maybe they were saying something right, but maybe they were just wrong, which I don't think has happened a lot, but I do think sometimes I'm like, eh, I just, I don't know if I agree. I think that's okay. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe they just don't know everything. Like, <laughs> like, right. I mean, I don't know everything. Maybe, maybe God didn't tell them all the things, you know, mm-hmm. at, it, even the the difference in Matthew, Mark, and Luke between what that says was written on the cross when Jesus was crucified, you would think they could get it straight. But mm-hmm. it all says something a little different. The Lord's Prayer in those different books is a little different. You know, mm-hmm. it, they're, they're, we're so obviously relying. Yeah, we're relying on their witness, their testimony, like what they remember. And when we try to make it, factual or you know demand evidence we're just gonna lose out um it we're we're majoring on the minors i guess Mm -hmm. it when you Mm. it's it's kind of like the book of jonah tells a different ending to the city of Nineveh Nineveh than the book of nahum Mm. and the book of nahum is written 200 years you know earlier and has the actual historically accurate end of Nineveh. So we have two endings to, to Nineveh. Um, that's not a problem for the Hebrew reader. Mm. But if, mm. if you talk about that with, with uh, if I go down to the neighborhood Bible study and I talk about that, people are going to be shocked. But mm. it's because Jonah is an allegory. Mm-hmm. You know? It says maybe God is not what we thought God was. And mm-hmm. so maybe... Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's is really interesting. Like I told, said at the beginning, I read, uh, I took a class called the Bible's literature and says like, Oh, we have to interpret the Bible within its context, within um, the, the, the book and, you know, whether it's a poem or that changes how we read things. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I was an English major, an undergrad. Um, but I think, um, I think that, the the slant that I felt like my teacher was going was that, you know, miraculous things that that m- must have been an allegory that couldn't have been right, which could be possible for sure. But I, I do think that, you know, there are miracles and there are spectacular things. And um, I've talked about that some of my other podcasts. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really helpful to know, I guess, worldview and 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 what what you're swimming in and in the West we are swimming in this kind of scientific materialism. Um, And so I guess just don't go too far either way, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the early, there was a, I think it was Gregory of Nyssa. 
mm-hmm. um, if I'm remembering correctly. He said he did a thing on uh, the miracle of stretching out the wither hand. And he said, isn't the greater miracle that one who had never given now gave alms? Like, mm-hmm. is now going to, isn't that the greater mm-hmm. stretching out mm-hmm. of the withered hand? Because if Jesus one time uh, healed somebody's hand, that's great for that one time. Mm-hmm. But if overall humanity begins to give to one another, isn't uh, that the greater miracle? So uh, even the early church fathers were already looking at those miracles and saying, like, even looking and not looking at a beauty that is not your own, like not coveting your neighbor's wife, isn't that to truly mm-hmm. help the blind see or something? Mm-hmm. So they were early on interpreting those miracles as um and he doesn't, he's not saying whether he thought that miracle actually happened uh, the right. way it was said. He's just but saying, isn't the greater to... miracle? Mm-hmm. It's pointing to something different. It's pointing to something greater. And so if we don't see the stretching out of the withered hand as mm-hmm. becoming a giver, then we're missing the point. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, the, the last thing I have in mind is, um, you know, I think, you know, Jesus said, I will leave and then I'll, I'll send you a helper and talking about the Holy spirit. And so I think that, you know, you, we talked about faith and that's, that's important. Um, I think that the spirit and that connection of spirit is what um, Jesus is one of his big teachings and, and what he was trying to impart um, on his disciples and people uh, in time over time. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, it's always important, but it's especially important today in that, you know, we ha- we're in the information age since so we have tons of information, but mm-hmm. we also have tons of misinformation. And so, um, you know, as we, we talked about and we see some Christians are really, that causes a lot of fear, you know, and what is true. And so then we're trying to find like the Bible is our rock and we can hold on to that. But I think it's that connection to spirit and that spirit's ability to help us figure out what is right in our particular situation um, mm-hmm. and yeah, what is true and what is not. And obviously we're not perfect. We're in, we're not always going to get it right. And we're not always going to hear a spirit perfectly. And, but, but we do have that connection and we can um, believe in that and trust in that and, um, and encourage that to, to grow and uh, strengthen that so that um no matter what happens, we know that the God is with us and can help us find um, what is, what is healthy and what is, what's true for us and in our lives. Yeah. I, I, I kind of joke that I grew up in a, in a, in a tradition that had the father, the son and the Holy book right. instead of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. Cause mm-hmm. we don't know much about spirit, but again, to reference Phyllis tickle, she said, you know, we spent a long time in human history learning about God the Father. Um, and then we learned about God the Son. And she said, as women enter theology and as um, as the information age doesn't give us all the information we needed, she said, I think we're going to learn about the Spirit. We're going to learn how to connect to Spirit. We're going to learn how to, mm. to connect to unity. And mm. we may just not know that very well yet. Um, mm-hmm. And well, there's a lot of people trying. There's a lot of people... Um, even maybe misusing the idea or, you know, mm-hmm. getting it a little off, but we have to say, it's okay to try. It's okay to, right. to figure out how to connect to spirit. And, um, and I think it's maybe something that's, that's yet to come in human history. And 
Um, and the, and we see it in the mystics. We see mm-hmm. that connection to spirit. And um, so we have these little glimpses, but I'm hopeful that, that, that that's yet to come and that humans are going to learn more about that in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as I, I go, my beliefs, I, I think I've seen lots of people, whether or not they say they're Christians and whether or not they've been baptized, but I've, I'm like, Oh, well they have connection to spirit and they're, they're using, mm-hmm. I've had, um, you know, I've, I've gone into like energy work and I think that's really interesting. And I think that's kind of part of the gifts of the spirit and, and that uh, healing. And, you know, I know, mm-hmm. I know people that do that that are not necessarily Christians. I've had that done on me and I think it's um, healthy and, and healing. And I've had people that are intuitives and, um, and say things that are very, I'm like, Oh wow, that's accurate. That, that I think that's true for, for me in my life. And, you know, they didn't identify as Christians. And so I think that um, how, what I think is that everybody has um, the Holy spirit that is who we truly are deep inside. And so it's more of um, uh, a recognition of that and the living through living that out than there's something that's outside of us that comes within us. I don't know if uh, you wanted to speak to that and how the, early Christians might've thought about that. Yeah, I guess I, I would agree with that. I think, um, I think it's a matter of discovery, not a matter of, of, of going and getting it, finding a right. way to get the spirit. I've right. heard a lot of people invite the spirit. And I think, you know, that that's useful in as far as you're bringing yourself to a recognition of the spirit, but I don't think the spirit can ever be gone. Um, mm. So about, you know, discovering, um, how we connect. And I think there's been points at the pat in the past where people maybe have been better at that. Um, we're so reliant on our mind that mm-hmm, I think it's, right. it's somewhat it's difficult like a muscle for us now. Yeah. It's kind of like atrophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we, it, we just don't, I've been reading this book. Let's sit. It's probably sitting here. Um, a brief history of everything with Ken Wilbur. Oh yeah. And he talks will, a lot yeah. about the spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how man, if we're really stuck in materialism, if we're really stuck in a modern flatland, how are we going to grasp the spirit? And so, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know that he's a Christian either, but I just no, I think it's Buddhist. a yeah. it's a Buddhist. I think mm-hmm. it's it's just a super um, it's just it's a topic that's just it's just opening up. And I don't know what I think. I I feel sometimes very spiritually connected connected mm-hmm. to the spirit and other times not. So, yeah, I agree. and I figure that's a condition of that's, that's a, my condition, not God's mm-hmm. condition. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, is there anything else that, um, you'd like to share to wrap up or, uh, I don't think so. I think that's probably it. I'm looking at the floor because I have a bunch of books sitting here (laughs) that were just to remind me of Uh great uh, kind of of what to go through. Yep. It's, it's kind of maps out where I've come Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, this has been great. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate you and uh, all your wisdom and knowledge you've shared. Yeah. Thank you. I think we hit the high points. Yeah, good stuff. Awesome.